All right, as Brad mentioned, we are in uh, Genesis, kicking off a new series. We're going to spend most of the next year in this. This is actually the uh, longest series that we will have taken on as a church. We did Exodus about five years ago, um, and we probably should have done them in order, but we did Exodus, and we're doing Genesis now. It's going to be uh, an incredible journey for us. And if you uh, don't know where Genesis is, get your journal Bible. You literally can't turn to the wrong book of the Bible, right? Um, And we are starting on page one, and we're just going to walk through the pages. And so this is going to be a great opportunity for us to explore uh, the oldest book, um, or the the first book in the Bible, and one that uh, a lot of scripture is based on. So uh, two two truths that I want us to get into our minds and hearts as we start, and one is that uh, Genesis is an absolutely essential book of the Bible, um, Genesis is not, uh, not one of these books like, you know, I don't know, like one of the minor prophets or, uh, Proverbs or something that you're like, if we took it out, would the entire thing collapse? Yes. Genesis is one of the very few absolutely essential books in the entire Bible. In terms of you can't have a gospel, you can't have, you, we don't know who God is, right? Without Genesis, it is a foundational book. Uh, some call it the seedbed of the rest of the Bible, Um, This is a book about the beginning. That's what the word Genesis literally means, is beginning, right? We use that language uh, now. It's the genesis of something, right? Um, This is origin story. If you like comic books and movies, this is an origin story. And we're going to dive into the origin of the universe, origin of who we are. um, And and we're going to answer some questions. What does it uh, mean to be human? What does it mean to be male and female? uh, We're going to answer questions about sexuality, the dignity of human life, um, questions about race and um, purpose of humanity. We're going to answer why does the world seem so broken? Why does evil exist? Um, and, And much, much more. The rest of the Bible assumes, and I want to make this clear as an essential book, the rest of the Bible assumes Genesis. It assumes what is uh, here, what is taught here, the theology, worldview. Um, The entire story of redemption is rooted in Genesis. Jesus speaks about Genesis. Paul speaks about Genesis. John, the apostle, speaks about Genesis. The early church spoke about Genesis. There is a very real sense that this book uh, is an essential book, absolutely essential, in, in the Christian faith. And the second uh, truth I want you to understand is that parts of Genesis can be difficult and confusing. <laughs> That's kind of a bad combination, right? Like absolutely essential book, but also kind of confusing at points. So, uh, <laughs> but part, we'll, we'll talk about why that is in a minute, but I am curious, how many of you have any questions about Genesis at all? Any questions at all? <laughs> Literally everybody in here, right? Like you're like, I don't know what that meant. I don't, why, who are these weird people? What, did the, what were the days, right? What were these days that, that are described? Um, and I don't want us to, uh, we're going to talk about some of these. I'm going to like flesh out some of these, but I don't want us to not miss the point of Genesis. While we're digging down into the details and trying to answer some questions, let's not miss the purpose of Genesis. Genesis is pointing to God. It's not ultimately about answering our intellectual Questions or having all your, I would argue if you don't, uh, if you have all your questions answered, you're God, right? God's the only one who has like, mm, I've never really wondered about that because I know that, right? Uh, <laughs> you and I are always going to wonder about things. And, it, and here I would argue it's perfectly okay to, to have, have curiosity, to have, uh, I'm not exactly sure how that works, but I, I gotta believe the God behind it. That's okay. That's, that's faith, right? Um, we don't have to settle 
everything. What I would challenge you as we're going through Genesis, I would challenge you personally, especially if you're new to church or reconnecting with church, is ask yourself, is the God of this scripture, the God uh, that is described here, is he real? Is he the real God, the true God? Um, I'm going to lay a little groundwork in in Genesis before we dive in. Uh, Genesis, we need to understand it as, as literature, uh, the Bible is more than just mere literature, but it is not less than literature. Uh, and in this case, it is ancient Hebrew literature. Anybody grow up among ancient Hebrew people? Okay, then perhaps we might want to approach how we interpret it with some humility and not make bold assertions based on our Western mindset and understanding. If you don't know the difference, imagine uh, traveling roughly 3,500 years into history, going on another side of the world um, and reading a book that they've written, that's written at that time, and being angry that it doesn't answer the questions that you want. Like, it, it's unfair to go to it with our questions, demanding that it answer them the way we want to. Um, you wouldn't pick up a, a, a math book and, and be mad that it's not a novel, Right? You wouldn't pick up a comic book and be frustrated as a historical narrative. No one's read their car, book, car handbook and thought, this is a terrible poem, right? <laughs> it's because there are certain types of literature. There, not only are there just types, but we're separated culturally and historically from their literature. No one in here has studied ancient uh, Near Eastern literature. So we are going at it. I'm not saying we can't know anything about it. I'm simply saying let's, let's try to read it for what it is and try to understand it in context. Um, to encourage you on this, uh, the Bible Project has a, an incredible playlist on the, the YouTube channel, The Bible Project, and they put together a series on how to read the Bible. Uh, and they go through some important uh, aspects of understanding the Bible as literature. So I, I wanted to throw that up there because I think it'd be very helpful if you had time to watch some of these videos, to be able to understand how they write narrative, how they, um, what does it mean to actually read the Bible in its original context. The question we're going for here, and I, and I would argue maybe if you've got your journal to write this down, uh, this is an important question that will guide not just today, but throughout the whole uh, journey through Genesis. And that is the question, what did it mean when it was written? What did it mean when it was written? Because we need to understand it in its proper context if we're going to understand it, what it means for us today. One of the problems that I think we do is uh, we, just, we just think the Bible is, um, is like culturally neutral, um, non-specific literature and can be read without any, any framework of understanding uh, where it came from. You wouldn't get mad at a poem that described a tree as waving in the wind at everyone as, it came, as they came by on a windy day, right? You wouldn't be like, that's scientifically inaccurate, right? Seriously, here's the question. Is it accurate? Yeah, it kind of is. It's not the way we would describe it, maybe, but it is describing a reality. And so there are ways to understand uh, Genesis and our journey that um, I think help make it clear. And this and that's actually is, is another groundwork point that I want to make. Genesis is actually remarkably clear on what it needs to be clear on. It is. It really is. It's clear on God. 
Listen, the processes of creation are not the point of the passage. So don't get caught up in the endless speculation and detail. Curiosity is great. Go, knock yourself out. Watch books or watch movies or watch documentaries. Watch YouTube clips, listen to podcasts, read books about this. Explore what you think uh, really kind of happened in Genesis 1 and the how of everything happened. That's fine, but that's not the primary purpose of Genesis. Genesis is trying to help us to see God. And that's what my point is for today. Our big idea is that creation is about God. Just like the rest of the Bible is about God. It's not ultimately about us. It's about a creator God. Tim Keller said it this way, read rightly, the Bible is a single story and it's not about you, but it's about him. And not so much about what you must do, but what he has done. And that's what we're coming at today to sort of, to to read Genesis 1, to look at Genesis 1 and ask ourselves, what has God done? And then the implications for that. Uh, Keller has um, three, three points. It's kind of funny. I use, some, I use his points, but I don't really build off his, <laughs> his material under, under it very much because he just kind of went at it a different route. But his three points, I think, outline really good because uh, are really well um, the way we approach this because we need to back up behind creation. And he says there are three things uh, that frame out understanding of verses 1 through 25. The first one is before creation, there was a God. There was God, period. The very first verse of Genesis is in the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God. Behind Christianity is an all-knowing, pre-existent, eternal God. He doesn't exist in time, which makes us hard. It makes it difficult for us to understand how he doesn't, he has no beginning or end like us. Um, because we are caught in a three-dimensional uh, world, God exists outside of that. He doesn't. He isn't. Uh, he isn't caught up in time. The word "beginning" refers to an extended but unspecified duration of time. It is a period of time that precedes an extended series of time periods. So, the beginning, I would argue, is not even a clear term. It's not saying in the beginning at a very specific, exact moment. God created the heavens and the earth. It is a, in, the, in the Hebrew, it is not used that way. It is an, uh, an unspecified duration, an extended but unspecified duration of time. In most creation accounts, however, there's not a God. In ancient, ancient uh, Near Eastern uh, cosmology, uh, there's not a, a God who created uh, the universe. There are lots of different examples. There's um, usually multiple gods and the universe comes out of a cosmic battle. So basically the, the gods were like fighting each other and they went, oh, whoops, look what we did there. You know, there's a universe. Um, there's another one that, that basically has the myth of the human race arising from the blood of a dead God, a God that was slain. Another one um, is that human beings were the remains made of the rain, remains of a dead sea monster. So you can, you can take that for what you will. Christianity argues that there is one all eternal preexistent God who made everything. That exists. In philosophical naturalism, there is no being. There's no purpose. There's no intentionality. There's only matter and energy. But the interesting thing about philosophical naturalism is that it, it, it struggles, it keeps going back, but it keeps running into situations where it can't ultimately explain why it's there and not, not there. I don't know if you've thought about that, but 
philosophical naturalism can't explain why there's a universe versus not a universe. Why are we here? Why are we actually here to even think about why we're here? That'll, that'll really get you going. Uh, philosophical naturalism can't answer the, that question. Why? Nor can it answer the purpose. Is there any purpose? Because if philosophical naturalism as an entire worldview, which by the way, some hold very strongly to it, uh, is true, then your life has no purpose. Seriously, my life has no purpose. This world has no purpose. But Christianity, I would argue, teaches that there is a purpose because there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. One um, Old Testament scholar, I love his name, John Salehammer. It's a really, he's a brilliant scholar, but I just like really like his name. It's a very cool name, kind of like sailing, but hammer, you know, like, um, he sounds like a character from, from uh, like Thor's world, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, this is what he said. These seven Hebrew words are the foundation of all that is to follow in the Bible. The purpose of the statement is threefold, to identify the creator, to explain the origin of the world, and to tie the work of God in the past to the work of God in the future. What an amazing summary, Right? And I'm not against theories and I'm not against taking a deep dive into what did the word day mean or how did this happen or that happen or trying to understand the how of this, that or the other. But let's not miss the universe making God in the process of trying to figure out some, some of the why, right? The universe making God is kind of a big deal. Every, I mean, if we, if we take this to its logical conclusion, every atom that's in your body right now was created by God. How crazy is that? Like, that's inspiring. That's incredible. That is the big E on the eye chart of Genesis 1. Like, you don't want to miss that one while you're digging down for the bottom lines. And the rest of the Bible, I would argue, it is about God and cannot kind of, like, get over him. And just a few verses that refer back to this. Just listen to the ways the, the Lord is praised here. God is praised. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Isaiah 42, 5. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens. I love this. Whoever was writing this was like, all right, I'm going to have to throw some parentheses in here. <laughs> I'm serious. This is in the original. He's like, uh, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. And then Hebrews 13, uh, 11, th- 3 says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What that means is God didn't have a make your own universe kit. Like, and he was like, let me get my glue and my workbench and like put that together. He spoke it into existence from nothing. Genesis wants you to come to terms with the creator God. And I, and I think we're in an unparalleled place in human history to do that. Like what we have, what we have figured out, I mean, scientifically in the last hundred years has been just mind boggling. Even the last 20 years has been mind boggling. And I think about like God, we haven't dug down deeper and found increasing simplicity, right? (laughs) There's complexity 
We, we've, 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 we understand atomic, you know, we've split the atom. We understand the atomic universe and we've delved into the subatomic universe, right? We, we've mapped the human genome. Like that's insane. We, we've dug into that every single cell in your body has the DNA for your entire body. Like the beauty and depth and creativity and complexity there should inspire us. And now some would argue, well, you can't, be, you can't really believe in God and, and believe in real science. Listen, I think that that is a, um, the more I, I dig behind the scenes, the more I think that that's just a talking point thrown out in, in culture. There are brilliant scientists at MIT, Harvard, who believe in God, who, who believe in the God of Christianity. Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project, now recently retiring, I guess, as the head of the National Institutes of Health, considered one of the greatest medical minds in, in the world, uh, believes in the God of Christianity. And, and oh, you're like, well, he was raised that way. No, he wasn't. He was an atheist until he was in residency. And he sat by the bed of people dying. And he had to come to terms with, in some ways, Life is meaningless, and this means nothing. It's just a highly evolved animal dying, or something else is at work. And he came to terms and is a professing Christian today. Across this congregation and across the City on the Hill congregations and other churches around Boston, there are brilliant researchers, engineers, medical professionals who study science on a very deep level, who do not see it as this separate reality. Well, I have faith in God over here and there's nothing over here that has anything to do with that. No, they, they study and it inspires their, their worship of God. So I just say this to say, not to say if you're a scientist, you must believe in God. I'm saying that maybe science and faith in God are not as diametrically opposed as you may have been led to believe. Now, I, I want to tread lightly in this spot because... Science uh, does have an impact in how we look at Genesis, right? And how we look at these verses. Um, and in some ways, it's, you know, there's, there's really, I would argue, three camps that have come out of this in terms of, of, uh, of these uh, looking at Genesis and the created order and the seven days. There are young earth creation, uh, those that are in the young earth creationism camp. Um, they hold to earth, the earth roughly being about 6,000 years. This was because many years ago, uh, I believe it was a monk, sat down and counted up all the genealogies and figured out the ages of every, all the genealogies in the Old Testament and, and roughly dated the earth about 4,000 B.C., that the six days of creation somewhere happened around then. And they also believed that the six days of creation were six 24-hour periods. Now, I know that might be you, and if, you, if that's you, you're in good company there are a lot of Christians that believe that, and I would argue you are at absolute liberty to, to do that um, and feel that that's a, a conviction uh, of your own. Um, I don't want to knock it because they're uh, on your side, on that side in particular, is the, the pattern of seven days throughout Scripture. These, these, this, the days of creation are repeated throughout Scripture, repeated over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus' mouth, Paul's mouth, all the way through the Old Testament. It's a repeated pattern. So you're in good company if you believe that. Then there's the old earth, young creationism, uh, based off of the break between the first couple of verses and the six days of creation, the beginning being, as I said, an unspecified, undeclosed, extended period of time. Like they believe that God kind of created the universe 
and then began creation on earth and that and they are old old universe young creation creationists many of them believe in the seven days of uh, uh six days of creation uh and then the final position is what's called evolutionary creationism uh, it used to be called theistic evolution but uh all those who hold to the position have said that's a we are not uh we do not primarily believe in evolution we believe in creationism and so they've they've actually very specifically repeated this now it's now called evolutionary creationism uh, the emphasis being on we believe on creation, but we believe that God used the evolutionary process. And the, they often cite the figurative language um, and that not every leader in church history believed in seven days, uh, seven literal days. Uh, Tremper Longman, who's a great New Testament, uh, Old Testament scholar, uh, cites Augustine and Origen. He says, Augustine said, of course, these weren't solar days. Uh, and then uh, Origen, also, who was uh, 4th century, I believe, said, of course, they aren't. Uh, he said, uh, how foolish we are to believe that they were 24-hour periods when the sun and moon uh, sun had not even been created uh, on the first few days. Um, so, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that that, oh, you got to believe that. I'm saying that there is there's some freedom here because I would argue this. All of those physicians believe in a creator God. And so I, I would not get hung up on, well, I got to come down in one camp or the other, um, for sure. Um, there is weight and there's wor- it's worthy of study, but don't get bogged down on these because all of these point to the created, uh, the eternal God who created the world. Um, I would say this, if you're, if you're a Christian, you do not need to apologize for believing in a creator God. And if you're not a Christian, you do not need to jettison your scientific inquiry to become a Christian. These two are not mutually exclusive. I, I pictured it this way. I am sure I read this probably somewhere else, but I didn't take the time to dig it too hard. Um, but this like really came to me. Science is primarily looks at the what of reality in the universe and seeks to answer the question, how? Scripture looks at the same what and answers the who and why. And if you force them to try to answer each other, do you, know, do you know where philosophical naturalism gets off when it starts trying to make uh, purpose claims? It, it, it can't. There is no purpose, right? There, there's nothing. There's nothing that, 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 that can be proven about meaning and purpose in the universe. And so scientific naturalism, when it gets into like trying to prove this, it, it's speculative. And sometimes when Christianity tries to go far, too far into science, they get in trouble too. I would argue this. Uh, science itself. I, I, so I grew up two hours from Washington, D.C., and I'll, never, I'll just never forget this when this happened. This is not knocking science. I love science. I believe in many of you and uh, what you're doing uh, in science. But, uh, but I remember the Natural History Museum. Anybody uh, went there where they have the evolution of man? Uh, I remember standing there as a, you know, a kid, and I was like, you know, looking at them, reading all the names. Uh, and I remember, I think it was 1996, um, they just kind of discovered that Neanderthal was not actually in that line. And so they went and they pulled him out of the display and slid things together. Now, I would just argue up to that point, they were very, very confident, right? And you know this, many of you actually who do experiments repeat the same experiments over and over again, and they don't bear the same results. Sometimes you have to throw out your research because it's the, the science is... A, is so. So science is good. I'm not saying I'm simply saying science is not a uh, a rock solid immovable place to stand because science is always constantly evolving. Actually, Tim Mackey uh, argues uh, the, the the Bible Project author. He actually argues that like you know right now we're, we we understand a three dimensional universe, but they've 
physicists have explored at least another dimension or two that are possible. And he says, imagine if Jesus tarries for 2,000 years. And scientists in 2,000 years are looking back at what scientists are doing today. Don't you think they'll kind of chuckle? Oh, that was so cute. (laughs) I mean, and so I'd say approach it with humility as well. All right. So before creation, there was a God. And that's the big one, right? Like that's the big, big thing we don't want to miss. But I want us to see, uh, secondly, before creation, there was a love. And this is the one that is really kind of hard to, to like imagine how like that, that love was written into the fabric of the universe. But it's here. Um, if you look closely at the first uh, few verses of Genesis 1, there's the three persons of the Trinity show up here. Christianity believes in a triune, triune God, one, three persons, uh, one essence. Um, and look, it says in the beginning, God, that's God the Father, created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. And then it says, and God said. So you have, if, if you allow me to just separate the, these out briefly, you have God, you have the Spirit, and then you have the spoken word of God, the word of God achieving the active agent of creation, if you will. And the reason we know that this is actually Jesus the Son is because in John chapter 1, it echoes this passage perfectly. Listen to it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is Jesus this is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, not the person Jesus. The person Jesus didn't show up till around 2,000 years ago. The physical person Jesus. I know that's kind of hard to get your brain around, but, but the physical person Jesus as the fullness of who God is in human form didn't show up till 2,000 years ago. But the Son of God has, is eternal with the Father and with the Spirit. And what this pictures is a God who created the world is a relational God. There's nothing in scripture that would said God was inadequate in eternal history of the past, that, that somehow he was, you know, like it, you won't find a Bible verse says, and, and before the universe began, God was lonely and he was just really struggling. So he made some people to hang out with and to know, right? It's not in the Bible. What, what, what is pictured, I mean, it's kind of desperate, isn't it? I mean, I've actually, believe me, I've actually heard people repeat that. And they're like, yeah, God made us so he made the universe so he could have a relationship with us. I'm like, so God wasn't okay before? Like, he, he just needed some friends, right? <laughs> no, what we see, in fact, is the triunal God, the, the Trinitarian God, before the universe began, uh, was in unity, in love, and out of that created the universe. Out of the love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit the universe was created, which puts relationship at the center of the universe, puts love at the center of the universe. Another Old Testament scholar about this passage said, from the outset, Genesis confronts us with the living God, unmistakably personal. And I would argue that creation displays a personal God. Actually, the the we, we, we believe in a God who is a revealing God, a, uh, uh, who gives revelation of himself. And there are two specific ways he gives revelation. General revelation, which is creation, and specific revelation, which is the word of God. Um, general revelation is creation. Does anybody ever get inspired out in nature? 
Anybody besides me, <laughs> right? Like, there's something that happens. You know that, right? There's something that happens to you when you are staring at that breathtaking sunset. Or um, I would argue the moments when you're either by yourself and your heart's like in a really good place to receive it, or you're with friends and you've had a wonderful evening and then the sky just explodes, right? You look up or the, the stars and you're just, you're just captivated, right? There's something in you that stirs. And it's because creation is declaring the glory of God. That's what you're feeling. That's what you're sensing. Now, Richard Dawkins, the great atheist, puts it this way. He says, when you look at a certain scenery, you think it is beautiful because your ancestors believed that there was food out there. And that particular neurological feature that helped them survive was now come down to you, and that's the reason you see it as beautiful. That's it. Food. When you go up to Acadia... And, you know, and you're hiking over one of those mountains and you're looking at a lake and the sun's rising or setting. You're just thinking, man, this thing makes me think of burritos, right? <laughs> I, is there anything in you that's like, that makes complete sense? Or is there something, I, what I would argue is what happens to me is something calls me beyond what I'm seeing. Like my heart wants to, like, like, oh, this sunset is so inspiring. It doesn't, the, the joy of it does not want to terminate on itself, right? It's not a beautiful thing just by itself. It, it turns my heart upward. It turns my mind towards God, it turns my heart towards God to want to praise him, to thank him for just being alive, for thank him for just painting the sky the way he did, right? C.S. Lewis says, uh, a baby feels hunger well, um, a hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim well. There is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, well, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. The fact that ultimately we get that thing cannot satisfy itself, uh, satisfy us eternally, right? No, no uh, feast will satisfy you. No sunset will satisfy you eternally. It is because your heart is meant, those things are meant to be billboards to stir you towards God. These are billboards God's sending out in the world saying, this is who I am. The invitation is to know a God, to know God, the creator. And I would argue this, uh, I would say, just say this honestly. I realize some people, you know, I've had uh, conversations with people that have struggled to believe in the idea of a creator God, that God created the world, right? I, I'll be, I've never really struggled with that. I think partially just because of nature has always spoken to me in that way. Um, I'm not saying I understand all the complexities of how he chose to do it, but I do, I do believe in a, a very clearly in a God behind it. But what I do have a problem believing, and I do struggle with, very, in a very real way, is why in the world would the God who made this incredible universe, every atom that exists, the endless reaches of space, the depths of our cells, the depths of our atoms in our body, why in the world would he love me? Why? What in the world do I have to offer God? Have you met me? Have you hung out with me? Have you hung out with you? 
Like, what are you, what are we, what are we, what do we got that God's like, you know what? I just, I just got to love those things. Those little people running around, right? Like, I'm just amazed that God loves us. That the end, I could understand scripture saying there is this creator, God has made this amazing universe and he displays his glory everywhere and you should bow down to him. And the Bible does say we should bow down to him, but that's not the primary message. The primary message is that this creator, God, loves us. And how crazy is that? Related to that, I wanted to tie in with the last point. Before creation, there was darkness. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then God said, so, so God created the heavens and the earth, the universe, right? But then almost like a second wave or 2.0 creation, God, God says, let there be. And he starts issuing forth creation. Which means that God created a dark, empty, chaos, chaotic universe. Not welcoming, very welcoming, by the way, for you and I. And then chose to, out of the darkness, to create light. And you can f- see the beauty of way these, the way these are framed out here in, uh, through the, uh, all six days of creation. Um, there should be a diagram here just to help you to see the way, the symmetry of the way God created. So God creates light on day one, on day four, the sun, moon, and stars, right? So the the created realm is light, universe, and then sun, moon, and stars to rule over them. Day two, the division of the sea and the air, and then day five, the fish and the birds to rule over them, and then day three, the land uh, and plants, and day six, the animals and man to rule over the lands and plants. This is an intentionality. This is a symmetry. God creating order out of chaos. There's something beautiful about this. By the way, this is why it seems poetic, right? There's a lot of repetition. There was evening, there was morning the first day. There was evening, there was morning the second day. There was evening, there was morning the third day. Um, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying there's there's, there's definitely something happening here that's simply more than just absolutely literal uh, history. There's figurative language here. And it's interesting, just to, and this is a little antidote, you can write in your notes if you want, but uh, isn't, I don't know if you noticed this, is, and there was evening and there was morning. How do we think about our days? Do you, do you start your day when the sun goes down? Anybody? No. We think morning and evening, but it was evening and morning, which is, by the way, to this day, why Jewish people believe the day begins with sundown. When does the Sabbath begin? Sundown. So they still practice that rooted in this history. And I love that, that it says, and God said, and it was. He didn't strain he didn't like make sure he had some extra power that day. He said, and it was. And it is interesting, the fine-tuning of this creation that we live in seems to be set up for us to operate and for life to flourish here. And I watched, uh, actually watched uh, Richard Dawkins. I think it was a video with, actually with Francis Chan. They were being interviewed by, uh, Francis Collins. They were being interviewed by somebody, and um, uh, Francis Collins and 
Dawkins were going back and forth on a few things. It wasn't. It was a very friendly debate. Very different than Francis Chan, by the way. If you <laughs> that would be really interesting, though. You got to see Francis Chan and Richard Dawkins. <laughs> but Francis Collins, this brilliant scientist, and Richard Dawkins, brilliant scientist, you know, debating. And um, Dawkins actually admitted, he said, this planet is so finely tuned within a fraction of a degree in so many factors, so many laws of physics that that are, seem to be fine-tuned, he says, I believe that that's actually the best argument for the existence of God. Now, he doesn't believe yet. I'm praying for that guy. But, um, because what, wouldn't that be a trophy of grace? That's like the Apostle Paul, right? Like, just, boom, save Richard Dawkins. Like, he's like, I don't know what happened, you know? <laughs> like, I believe this one day, and I just don't believe that anymore. I believe this. And so, uh, <laughs> but he brought order out of chaos. Um, and, and, uh, and, Cal- and uh, Dawkins believes that this is actually the way the universe, the world, uh, our world operates is actually a point of it. Now, the question that comes up, though, is if God brought darkness out of light, he brought our light into the darkness, he brought uh, order out of chaos, then why does our world feel chaotic and disordered? Because of sin. We'll get to that in a few weeks. But, but I like uh, the way Keller mentions this. He says, sin unleashes the forces of chaos and darkness because sin violates the very fabric of your being and unravels create God's creation. You could think of sin as decreation. It is destroying that which God has created. God has created us to be in fellowship with him, to love him, to know him, to walk with him. Sin breaks that fabric. Sin against other people breaks the fabric. But God is still bringing light into the darkness. John 1, 1 through 4, I just read it, but I'm going to look at verses 4 and 5 uh, at the very end on the screen here. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We are here worshiping God today, not Honestly, not just because he created the world, he's worthy of that. Not just because he called light out of the darkness and brought order out of chaos in the universe, but because he brings light into your darkness and order out of your chaos. And that he is still doing that today. He is still doing that today. He has met, he, he continues to meet me and bring light into the darkness of my own heart, my own sin. He continues to meet us as a church, bringing light into our darkness. And he looks out at the city, and there's a lot of darkness across the city, but he is not blown away by it. He's not discouraged. He has empowered his church to bring light, which is why our name is City on a Hill, right? We want to be that city on a hill that Christ uses us, uses you to bring light into your workplace where there may be a lot of chaos and darkness. That Christ wants to use your community group to bring light into your neighborhood. And today, the invitation is, is not just to worship the creator God, but I, that's like my, my greatest hope is that God would just kind of blow up your heart right now, that you would just realize that your very breath in your lungs right now are made by him. That every part of your body in this moment was made by him. And that he loves you. And he wants to bring light into your darkness, wherever that is today. 
Maybe it's for the first time to see the light of Christ, see him for who he is. To see, as, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What kind of God are we dealing with that, ex- that created the universe and then stepped into it as a human being? What a staggering reality. And he did that for you. And he did that for me, that we could walk in the light, that we could know him. And I would argue, be what human beings are made to be. So I invite you today to pray, to seek the Lord. Um, there will be some people over here on the side, to prayer leaders that will, uh, through the rest of the service, afterwards to pray with anyone. If you're not a Christian, you want to take that first step of faith today, we invite you to. Um, invite You can mark on your connection card and drop that in the offering basket if that's easiest for you. You can go pray with someone. You can find me after the service. We'd love to help you in that journey. If you are a Christian, I hope that you see how in your own sin, I, this is what God kept doing to me this week. I, I'll be honest with you. I kept pursuing a lot of the intellectual stuff and like, oh, how am I going to explain this, talk about this? And God kept saying, get your mind around me. Get your heart around me. I am God. You are worrying about created things. I am the creator. And I bet you have worried about some created things this week. Maybe some things you've created in your own head you've worried about. The invitation is to to know the God who made the heavens and the earth. Use this time as we sing um, as we prepare to take communion, you are taking the meal, right, that, that, that Jesus established for us. Baptism is the initiation rite into the family. It's the symbol of being, you were born into this world physically. You are born again into the family of God, and the baptism is the sign of that. So if you haven't been baptized, that's the first step for you. And we've got that baptism class. You can go to the connection table. Well, I didn't sign up. It's okay. Like, we always have people show up. So just come learn about what we believe about baptism and see if that's your next step. But if you're a Christian, communion is for you to take, not reluctantly, not in fear, not with timidity, but with joy. You see, God has decided once and for all how he feels about you. And not the way you've blown it this week or this coming week are gonna change how God feels. So let your heart dwell on God. And when you're ready, you can take communion. If you're a Christian, you can step out to the side here. And then uh, we have to take communion outside because um, no food or drinks allowed in here. And then make your way back in uh, during this next song. But don't feel like you've got to rush to do it. We have a whole song. And if you end up out there at the end of the song, that's okay too. Let's go ahead and stand and let's pray. And let's worship this creator God together. who are we that in this moment sitting in this room on this speck of dust floating in a vast universe and yet your your mind is on us as David said in Psalm 8 who are we it stirs our heart to you God to know you the creator God who's infinite 
power and glory and dominion and is equally infinite in love and mercy and kindness. We pray today that that would be real to each of us. So we worship you. May we worship you the way you deserve. When we take the bread and the cup, we celebrate all you have done for us through the cross. In your name we pray.